Why are we obsessed with champagne? I think this is one of the only world word you can say anywhere in the world and the people in front of you will have a smile in their face. Champagne, it's hope. Champagne, it's, uh, it's happiness. Champagne, it's, uh, it's a party. It's celebrations. Hey everyone, today on our first episode, we will be talking about the economy of champagne, our obsession with it, and how it seems to be embedded into the French economy. Champagne currently represents only a 4% of the France vineyards. Nevertheless, it constitutes a 34% of the French wine exports in value. The Champagne vineyards represent 0.5% of the world's vineyards, and yet in 2022, it generated 6.3 billion euros in sales. Today, we will be discussing the subject. I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Thank you, Pilar, for your intro. So today, we will explore why champagne is such an interesting luxury product to analyze from an economic perspective, what the champagne market looks like and its specificities, the trends seen in champagne consumption, and finally, the ways that champagne may have to adapt in the future due to changes in the environment um, that will impact the market. Today we're here with Cyril Delarue, sixth generation of the Boulanger family and sales director of the company. Welcome. We have here Aurélie Rangeval-Deluz, former head of the economics department of the Champagne Committee, researcher and professor of the economy of wine and champagne in Sciences Po. Welcome. How have you managed to maintain this luxury image while still producing and selling thousands of bottles every year? So Boulanger is a, is a big name, not a big house. We're actually, uh, we're actually quite small in the world of, uh, you know, of Champagne. And we, we, we are around 1% of, uh, of the Champagne production. Uh, but you're right, we have a big name. Uh, we are extremely well known. We are in more than 120 countries, international uh, brand. Um, we are the, the, the Champagne of uh, several crowns, including, the, of course, uh, the crown of the UK. All the shareholders, which is 100% uh, family, uh, this is Boulanger family, uh, still 100% independent. Uh, we are completely uh, behind uh, Etienne Bizot, which is uh, the, the CEO of, of the group, uh, and his project. And this unity is, uh, is, is, is completely, is a huge asset for us to remain, uh, to remain uh, family. And uh, that's something we, we are willing now. It's, uh, it's in our DNA. We are, our strategy is dedicated to, of course, success, excellence, etc., but also to remain independent. So it's a will. It's a, my point is that it's a work is that you also have to do in order to remain independent at the top level. Coming back uh, to what you said about being awarded the British Royal Warrant, how did you obtain it over the other houses and what is your relation with the royal family today? Yeah, it's, um, it's quite kind of important for, uh, for, for the house for sure. It's, uh, we, it was with uh, Queen Victoria that we got the first uh, Royal Warrant. And um, I believe we are the only house that have been renewed every time without losing it since uh, Queen Victoria. So it's a very strong, very solid uh, long-term relationship. And this all happened thanks to uh, one of the founders, uh, Jacques Boulanger. Um, and uh, he was uh, coming from Germany, Stuttgart, but uh, he was French when he started the, the winery. And he was quite connected uh, to, to the English market and to the, to the court of uh, of his uh, yeah of the the crown, um, and he worked really much the the market, 
And uh, since then, uh, we've been quite uh, in very good position uh, in, uh, in this market, a very solid relationship with uh, people. And now we have our own distributor since uh, you know, we started to work with them at Zendorf. And after a, a few years of very strong collaboration, uh, we, we, we purchased, we bought over this, uh, this uh, beautiful uh, distributor in the UK. So that makes us even, we have only two, um, two distribution companies within the group, which is France and the UK. So for us, it's really historical and it's a big pillar of, uh, of the group. So we have very strong tight and a foot in, uh, in this market, for sure. Could you tell us a bit more about your relationship with the James Bond franchise? So James Bond, it's a, it's a, it's a very beautiful story. Family story. It's um, Albert Broccoli and Christian Bizot that kind of uh, shook hands uh, in the in the late '60s, and uh, with Moon Record, it was here in AI, uh, and uh, in the in with the movie Moon Record, I believe that was in '69, uh, uh, released in '69. We um, we became the official uh, champagne of James Bond, and since since then. We've been the exclusive uh, champagne uh, all the time. So uh, we are in, th in some movies. We, uh, we can also uh, communicate, also, of course, uh, around uh, these partnerships, etc. And the beauty of it is that uh, it's not a product placement. It's really a gentleman agreement. Uh, of course, uh, now, you know, if we do um, a product with uh, the logo of Bond, etc., we have royalties. But in terms of the, the, the partnership in the movie, etc., it's not, uh, we, I mean, we don't pay uh, as a product placement, etc. So it's really the two families that for now 40 plus years have been uh, working on, uh, on that. You've worked in other industries like the wine industry. Could you share with us your personal insights and unique perspectives that you've gained from working in the champagne field in comparison to the rest of the wine industry? So champagne is a, is a beautiful industry. Uh, it's a little bit unique in the world, if you look at it as um, on the production side as an AOC, our AOP now, uh, I believe this is the only one that has been designed by salespeople, not by producers. But on the same time, it's, um, it, it's, it's a machine, Champagne, which has been designed for success. And that has been uh, designed by the negos, the houses mostly, hein, uh, that have, of course, with the growers, etc., but that have been promoting and investing into the, the, the name Champagne. And that's very unique. And today, yes, Champagne is a luxury, even if within Champagne, not everything is luxury, but definitely Champagne is luxury. Is the Champagne market an oligopoly? Um, I wouldn't say that exactly because um, there are many, many producers selling their own brand of champagne. Uh, you have over 100 uh, ha champagne houses. You have uh, more than 40 cooperatives selling their own brand of champagne and almost 4,000 wine growers selling their own champagne. So, um, no, I wouldn't exactly say it's an oligopoly. Would you say those other international markets are more dynamic? It's a very competitive market, um, and especially in mature markets like in Europe, for instance. Uh, it's um, uh, in, in more uh, you know, remote countries, countries like in Australia or in the US, very dynamic importing countries, uh, um, bigger actors. Uh, are very successful, but there is also space for smaller champagne producers. So um, it's uh, depending on the countries. If we talk about Prosecco, the Prosecco sales have risen so sharply over the last two decades. 
uh, they've been really really successful so some champagne producers say it's rather a good point because uh, for youngsters who begin to drink bubbles if they like it i mean prosecco is easy to drink and it's cheap so if you like it and when you uh, get you grew you grow older and 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 you tend to have uh, more purchasing power you want something more qualitative and then you uh, you know you trade up to champagne so can be seen as an opportunity but in the same time can also be a threat because in some places when you want champagne they just think you want a sparkling wine and they will serve you a glass of any sparkling wine and so regarding that competitive dynamic has there been any regulatory concerns? Oh, yeah, regulation in the in the alcohol um, industry in general is quite extended. All kinds of regulation. Uh, so it is it is strongly regulated. And you also have that uh, register of specification uh, specifying every point regarding the production of champagne, regarding the viticulture how you grow the grapes and also how you make the wines. You have so many, many points to respect to be entitled to use the Champagne Appellation. So it's strongly regulated, yes. So how could we actually describe or classify the Champagne industry? But it's, uh, it's huge, the Champagne. Uh, I mean, it's, um, just look at uh, the, the, the industry. It's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, we mm, just now, we're just finishing harvest. Uh, hundred thousand pickers coming for a few d- a few days, uh, 10, 15 days just for harvest. So it's like Reims is doubling size just for harvest. So of course they, all, they don't all live in Reims, huh? it's all around, but c- this is a huge economy uh, and it's um, driven to export. Huh? Uh, if you look a few years back, uh, France was more about 60% uh, of the volume. Now it's uh, below 50. So we definitely see the export, which is growing, and that's, uh, that's, that's good because that means Champagne is getting international also. And you can see in, in other industries, uh, in other cities, sorry, uh, other uh, houses in France, you don't have such an international uh, turnover. Uh, I, I'm saying turnover in a good way, not that it's, it's going too fast, but that you have a melting pot of people in, uh, in Champagne, uh, international people, different industries, etc. So. I would I would say that Champagne is a, is more of an open industry uh, in in that sense, open to the world and uh, and very beneficial for uh, for for France. I should say that the specific history of the region and and also the specificity of the of the product with the blending process of different uh, years, uh, different vintages, different grape varieties from d- coming from different subregions, etc. That helps a lot. And institutions, um, you know, in the in the that particular regions are very very efficient. I'm thinking about the Champagne Committee, which is, um, you know. Uh, has been so doing so much for the industry uh, since it's been created in 1941, and uh, and the name also of the Champagne Appellation. I mean, it's a region where you have 35,000 hectares, but one appellation. You can find that nowhere else in the world, and that particular appellation is big in most of people's mind. I mean, all everyone thinks it's big. Uh, in the end, 35,000 uh, hectares is quite small, but uh, uh, it's only 4% of, the, cham- of the, the, France, the French vineyard. There's definitely this dichotomy between fashioned or trends of consumers and the know-how. 
So should houses stay authentic and true to their brand or listen to customers? You don't have to always listen to the consumers. Uh, you have to understand if it's a long-term or short-term uh, demand. You are, uh, you are not listening to what you believe, but you are listening to the consumer. So I know it's good to listen to the consumers, but it's to a certain point. And uh, when you do luxury or fashion, etc., you are also taking the consumer in your journey. You, you're taking them with you. If you just follow what they, what they listen, you don't have any rupture, you don't have any new things coming on, innovation. So it's, it's important, and that's, I think, one of the, of the challenges uh, when you are a leading company in an industry. Uh, it's, okay, what is the next step? The trend here, is it just a trend? Is it a movement? Is it a fashion? Is it going to be here for a long time? And that's definitely uh, a challenge, for instance. Uh, If you look at uh, how we make our wines now, barrel ferment, I will take two examples, barrel fermentation, which almost nobody does in anymore now, Krug and us in, uh, all the, in all the wines, and aging with natural cork, which same. You can find producers with uh, one cuvee, for us it's all the vintages period. And this, this, this was made by choice. In the 60s, 70s, when new techniques arrived, we believed, even if at that time people were pointing at us like, oh, get the Boulanger, they're old school, etc. No, we believe in what we do. If it's good for the wine, we do it. That was the philosophy of, uh, of Tante Lily. If it's good for the wine, we do it. So we have to prove that every new techniques, new innovation is going to be beneficial. And uh, for that, we, you cannot always listen to the consumer. And, uh, so it, it's always this balance uh, between the two, listening to the consumer, but at the same time, believing in what you, what you do. Uh, you, you start to have a little bit of, uh, of a separation between the non-vintage and the vintage uh, champagnes. Um, the, the, the vintage champagne are moving to another category with the price increases, etc. And also, thanks to uh, other areas, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Italian one, which are getting so expensive that champagne uh, vintages or prestige cuvées are seen as a value compared to the qualities they have now. I think to me, champagne have really, we are at the level of quality and precision that we have never had in Champagne uh, now. Uh, and collectors, wine lovers realize that Champagne is definitely a, a super value. The quality of the wine we're having for the value is incredible compared to uh, the top of the wines of Bordeaux, etc. The, the, the culture, French culture, Occidental culture being still, you know, one of the models in the world, all these people, uh, they have access now to these cultures and the champagne is definitely part of it. So you, the journey uh, in the wine, usually it's, uh, you start with uh, heavy reds, you move to more uh, delicate reds, and you move to white, and then you end your journey with champagnes. So I think it's, it's uh, exactly the same for uh, these uh, people with a lot of money, nouveau riche, uh, if we uh, like new money, old money. Uh, the new money, they, they, have all, all the, they have access to many, many things, so they're doing their own journey. They see what is, uh, what is good to be seen at or with, and also what you like, what they like, and that's, uh, they're coming to Champagne more and more. What is the environmental take Boulanger has on climate change? This is pro probably the, the biggest challenge we're going to face in the future. Uh, me, I'm a little bit crazy about that. Uh, I think that is going to be very serious. And um, uh, my belief is that uh, if we only count on uh, innovation, It's a way of not uh, taking action. 
because then you think, okay, the other are going to do something. Uh, I don't need to move now. Uh, we'll find solutions later. Humanity is so great. Uh, I don't think this is the right things to do now. So we have a very ambitious uh, CSR program at Champagne-Bollinger uh, based on um, the, our roots, so local, lo local, locally, the communities, uh, the earth, so what do, you do for, what do we do for the planet, um, and uh, all the, the craftsmanship, uh, the savoir-faire also, uh, transmission that we want to, to maintain. Uh, and so for climate change specifically, it's, uh, we are doing some actions, of course, but it's, um, it's more at the research uh, level and uh, we will need to be the entire industry together for that. I mean, you, you know how it is in Champagne, you have a few roads here, then you have other producers, then you have uh, also a few roads there, etc. So even, you know, moving to organic, etc. Of course, it's great and we are 100% organic, uh, Champagne, Boulanger, etc. But it's probably not enough if only one or two or five producers are doing it needs to be at a bigger scale if you want to have an impact yeah the industry is going to face a few challenges big challenges i can think at least of two challenges the biggest one would be the global warming which has been quite good so far for the um grape growing part of the region uh because champagne is a um, you know a northern uh, wine producing regions. So uh, with the global warming, uh, harvest tends to be better in quantity and quality, which is good. But at some point, uh, it might endanger the production because some of uh, champagne grape varieties like Pinot Noir is very sensible to warm temperatures. And that's why also um, the profession has introduced recently a new grape variety, which is called the Voltis, to a small extent now, but can change in the future. So it's, you know, um, a test for now. Uh, so global warming will be a challenge for the production part and for the uh, commercial part of the industry. Um, I think the challenge comes more from the increasing competition from other sparkling wine producers in France, but mainly outside France. And I'm thinking about Italy, especially. We can see their take on the environment is very different. Cyril talks about a possible cooperation between houses, which might be difficult to attain as other houses currently free ride on the choice of going green and its costs. Now on a more personal note, what's your favorite Boulanger cuvier? You don't have kids, but uh, when you have kids, it's, uh, if someone asks you which, which one of your kids do you prefer, it's difficult to answer. <laughs> uh, but uh, it also depends on the vintage. Uh, yeah. But me, I have a little favor for uh, a very small, uh, very small production of uh, wine, which is La Grande Année Rosé. It's um, as a rosé, it's a very uh, interesting uh, tasting. People can be a little bit uh, um, how do you say, uh, déboussolé, you know, uh, a little bit lost when they taste this rosé because it's very unusual to taste such a rosé. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think I've never said the word champagne this many times <laughs> before. Um, but I really did love the contrast of both perspectives of Monsieur de la Rue, that internal scope. Um, he definitely focused uh, passionately on the product of champagne and, of course, particularly uh, Boulanger. And then Professor Rangeval de Luce uses like a more 
broad academic scope, I would say, to analyze that same economy. So it was very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And it's also interesting to see how both of our guests seem to agree on the fact that Champagne is a unique phenomenon that's emerging from a really small region in the north of France and impacting the larger economy. And I think Champagne is really the product of a crossroads between um, the French culture, the luxury industry, and the wine industry. And I think that's what makes it so peculiar and so interesting. Yeah, I think overall in the episode we've seen that Champagne is much more than only a product, maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. Today's episode is sadly coming to an end. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something. We'd like to thank our guests Cyril de la Rue and Aurélie Rangeval de Luz, who have enlightened us on the subject of Champagne. We'd also like to thank the whole economics team, Doriana, Anthony, and Maddie, that were present behind the scenes, as well as the Sciences Po IT team. This podcast was developed with the support of the Reims Economic Society. Don't forget to follow our Instagram to get the latest updates on our upcoming episodes. See you soon! Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Thank you.